Our reading today comes from Clarissa Piccola Estes. My friends, do not lose heart. We were made for these times. I have heard from so many recently who are deeply and properly bewildered. They are concerned about the state of affairs in our world now. Ours is a time of almost daily astonishment and often righteous rage over the latest degradations of what matters most to civilized, visionary people. You are right in your assessments. The luster and hubris some have aspired to while endorsing acts so heinous against children, elderlies, elders, everyday people, the poor, the unguarded, the helpless, is breathtaking. Yet I urge you, ask you, gentle you, to please not spend your spirit dry by bewailing these difficult times. Especially do not lose hope. Most particularly because the fact is that we were made for these times. Yes. For years, we have been learning, practicing, been in training for and just waiting to meet on this exact plane of engagement. I grew up on the Great Lakes and recognize a seaworthy vessel when I see one. Regarding awakened souls, there have never been more able vessels in the waters than there are right now across the world. And they are fully provisioned and able to signal one another as never before in the history of mankind. Look out over the prow. There are millions of boats with righteous souls on the waters with you. Even though your veneers may shiver from every wave in this stormy royal, I assure you that the long timbers composing your prow and rudder come from a greater forest. That long-grained lumber is known to withstand storms, to hold together, to hold its own, and to advance, regardless. In any dark time, there is a tendency to veer toward fainting over how much is wrong or unmended in the world. Do not focus on that. There is a tendency, too, to fall into being weakened by dwelling on what is outside your reach, by what cannot yet be. Do not focus there. That is spending the wind without raising the sails. We are needed. That is all we can know. And though we meet resistance, we more so will greet souls who will hail us, love us, and guide us. And we will know them when they appear. Didn't you say you were a believer? Didn't you say you pledged to listen to a voice greater? Didn't you ask for grace? Don't you remember that to be in grace means to submit to the voice greater? Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. Any small, calm thing that one soul can do to help another soul, to assist some portion of this poor, suffering world, will help immensely. It is not given to us to know by which acts or by whom will cause the critical mass to tip toward an enduring good. What is needed for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts, adding, adding to, adding more, continuing. We know that it does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small, determined group who will not give up during the first, second, or hundredth gale. One of the most calming and powerful actions you can do to intervene in a stormy world is to stand up and show your soul. Soul on deck shines like gold in dark times, 
The light of the soul throws sparks, can send up flares, builds signal fires, causes proper matters to catch fire. To display the lantern of soul in shadowy times like these, to be fierce and to show mercy toward others, both are acts of immense bravery and greatest necessity. Struggling souls catch light from other souls who are fully lit and willing to show it. If you would help to calm the tumult, this is one of the strongest things you can do. There will always be times when you feel discouraged. I too have felt despair many times in my life. But I do not keep a chair for it. I will not entertain it. It is not allowed to eat from my plate. The reason is this. In my uttermost bones, I know something, as do you. It is that there can be no despair when you remember why you came to earth, who you serve, and who sent you here. The good words we say and the good deeds we do are not ours. They are the words and deeds of the one who brought us here. In that spirit, I hope you will write this on your wall. When a great ship is in a harbor and moored, it is safe. There can be no doubt, but that is not what great ships are built for. So I'm going to go on record as saying that this is probably the most important election year of our lifetime. And that is saying quite a lot if you've been around for a while like I have. You may remember the Nixon years that undermined our trust and faith in the presidency, the Reagan years that tore apart many of our social service systems that we had set up, and the Bush era that undermined the expectation for insightful and intelligent leadership. This year, we have the chance to oppose a rising authoritarianism in our leadership coupled with increased suppression of alternative voices, leading to an effort to undercut true democracy in this country. We have the opportunity to put a break on the influence of corporations that have co-opted our government regulating agencies, allowing economic and financial interests to gain power over the interests of our citizens and of our country. We all are too aware of the persistent resistance to fully staff and fund our judicial systems, our social service branches, our environmental protection offices, and this has led to harm to our country that it will take years and years to recover from. It is time we put a stop to the current way we are doing business in our government. And this means, thank you, you can clap for that. <laughs> and this means the 2020 elections are not just another election year. This is a time of movements, and it will be a determining influence on the future of the human species and on this planet. We are a faith tradition of progressive people. Our principles ground us and value-based framing, and it's rooted in our theology. As you use specifically our deepest beliefs of life-giving, life-saving, and life-sustaining alternatives to the narratives and policies of domination, exceptionalism, and exploitation that are on the rise. When we look at our principles, we can declare 
that as you use, we believe in interdependence, that all life is sacred and interconnected. Our work is to create societies that care for all species and to value cooperation and solidarity over competition and individualism. As you use, we value democracy. We expect decision-making happens in a way that allows all communities to be listened to, attending carefully to the voices of those most marginalized and silenced. All of us, all of us have the right to elect leaders and shape policies that impact the quality of our lives. As you use, we affirm inherent worth and dignity across differences, all people, all races, genders, abilities, sexualities, nationalities, and religions deserve to be held in respect and honor by the institutions, our governing agencies, the policies and social structures that impact on our lives. As you use, we believe in pluralism and diversity. We believe they strengthen us by bringing us together into wholeness. The diversity of race, gender, belief, practice, culture, ability, sexuality, and even more. It makes us fully alive and vibrant as we expand into the possibilities of human capacity. As you use, we believe in self-determination and human agency. We should have the right and the support to live in safety with a sense of belonging wherever we are and the agency to make decisions about our lives. So while some may argue that we should not mix politics and religion, I would counter with the belief that it is the historic role of religion and religious leaders to be prophetic. That means it's our job to be the moral voice in our society. We are called to notice oppression, demand change, organize for justice, and hold our government leaders and institutions accountable for their actions and policies. We have a moral responsibility to be engaged in public policy and elections. So I'm inviting each of you to do more this year. I'm the first to admit that actually I don't do politics. I'm not good at it and I don't like it. I don't follow the news very often and I don't keep track of what happens at any level of governance. I have friends who follow internet postings and daily tweets very diligently. They follow the news which continues to shock and absorb and astound all of us. I've watched people moving into a place of immobility, following politics so closely but getting stuck at that level of continual disbelief as each thing comes forward. And I've watched us getting more cynical, more hopeless as we see people's rights stripped away and our planet's protections eroded. I am worried about us. I was at a meeting just this last Wednesday of the Christian ministers of Kirkland. It was the day after the State of the Union address. And it began with a two-part prediction that this November the country would in fact re-elect the current administration. And the second part was that either way, no matter how the elections went, this country would explode into violence come November. We're sitting on a powder keg. I could feel the anxiety in the room. I can feel the anxiety in my body, even if I say those words. And there was a mix of anger and grief and fear. 
How can we face another four years like these past ones? And how will we respond to anger that takes people to the streets? We started to plan worship services for the days around the election to prepare ways for our congregations to grieve a disastrous outcome and violent reaction. Well, I want to get ready for the elections. I decided I want each of us, each one of you here, to be prepared. And by that, I mean I want us to begin learning resilience. If we can be proactive about learning to be resilient, it might give us the ability to bounce back faster and stronger because we won't have the luxury of grieving for too long. So how do we practice resilience? How can we shore ourselves up so we won't be too devastated so that we can stop being active? Because at all costs, we must be ready to keep going. First, it's very important that we be in close community. More than ever, we need to be surrounded by people we connect with and feel an identity with. This community should resonate with your very core, with your own sense of what is of value. It is important to have people around us who bring us back to our defining essence. When we become anxious, scared, or depressed, that's when we most need a close community who can attend to, who can, um, sorry, who can remind us of our purpose and of our agency and who call us back to our better selves. Not only must we be in close, close connection with our supportive community, but we can bring, begin some practices that strengthen our spirit. Stronger resilience requires building flexibility, love, agility, and willingness. We need to be flexible enough to bend without breaking. And the opposite of being flexible is being stiff and set in our ways. We all know that this is physical. Many of us can no longer bend over and even touch our toes. But it can also be our attitudes and our judgments that we, where we have become stiff and controlling. And this can range from small things, such as many of you have very strong opinions about the way the toilet paper comes off the toilet roll holder, right? And it can be bigger things, such as how we believe we should behave in church, for instance. Learning flexibility means being able to bend more easily, perhaps realizing it is more important to have toilet paper than to worry how it comes off the roll. <laughs> and recognizing that it is wonderful that each of us is here, rather than what we say or how we dress or how we act. We can practice flexibility literally. We can do exercises and yoga to stretch our muscles. And at the same time, as we're thinking about that, we consciously think about how we stretch our minds and attitudes by challenging ourselves to think about what is most important and letting go of some things. Love is central to resilience. Love is part of the way we see others and honor their value, their humanity. It can be so easy to forget that we love others and to act in ways that are not caring. This is especially true when we move into politics. For me, when I witness actions and policies that are cruel or selfish, I want to strike out in my anger. But my anger and retribution does not move things forward. And in the long run, it impacts my own moral fabric. 
We need to deliberately practice loving each other more. We need to demonstrate that we care. We need to do acts of kindness. I try a daily litany, reminding myself that I love each of you and others in my world. And I do this especially if I sense trouble or conflict, because remembering that I love you reminds me to respond with my better nature, to be compassionate and open. Developing agility means adjusting to what's going on. It means being alert to my inner state. So when we are overwhelmed or stressed, we can quickly take care of ourselves. For me, it means being awake when I say the wrong thing, aware when I say the wrong thing, or use the wrong language, or make a false assumption, and immediately apologizing. Meg Riley says, agility allows me to stay awake to the truth each moment offers and not ground my identity in the belief that what is true in one moment will be true forever. Finally, resistance requires being willing, having that willpower to keep going when everything seems to be stopping you. It means being willing to try when things don't work. For me, this is the process of returning to something again and again, changing the process, changing the vision until it feels right being willing to keep at it even when it feels so hard and exhausting. Sometimes willingness looks like just showing up and being present. So flexibility, love, agility, willingness. The first letter of each of those words spells out the word flaw. And this is part of resiliency as well. We recognize that each of us is flawed. Of course we're gonna get this wrong. We're each will have days where we feel rigid and days that feel absent of love, days we feel stuck and definitely not agile, and days we just don't want to do anymore. It's okay to have these days. We can each have compassion for our tender selves. And that also brings us back to our community of support because when it gets too much, we need each other to see our flaws and to bring us back to those better selves. So my ask of you today comes in two parts. Be engaged this election year, please. Do what you can to assure that your values are reflected in how our government treats all people on our earth. You, you, the vote. And practice resilience. Start now. Find that group that you connect with. Do what you need to do to develop, to develop your flexibility, love, agility, and willingness. Let's commit to being alert and resilient in this coming election year. I'm gonna read our closing words today. They're written by Reverend Ashley Horn. We say it again and again. Even when the proof lies somewhere beyond the horizon, beyond our reach, beyond our imagination. This is our faith. Another world is possible. Not somewhere else, another world, another lifetime, but here and now, for us and for all. Another world is possible. There's no straight path toward that world, no one strategy or approach that will restore balance or heal brokenness, or sow wholeness, and free creation. There are many routes toward liberation, toward freedom. 
but the abundance of options does not absolve us of the responsibility of acting. Another world is possible. In this time of despair, of fear, of collapse, this time that is both like every other era and like no other time in history, it is audacious to declare our faith and to commit our work to a world that is more free, more just, more whole. But we are an audacious people in good company with many kin, and we are ready to show up and work hard and stay humble and make friends and to hold the vision. Starting here and now today with us and persevering however long it takes until that other world is not only possible, but another world is here. Blessed be.